Amen. If you'll remain standing for the reading of God's Word, if you have not been here in the last couple of weeks, we are beginning a new series on the Sermon on the Mount, found on uh, Matthew chapter 5. And there we see that it begins with these Beatitudes. Last week we saw the first in verse 3. Today we will look at verse 4. But begin reading with me in verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Amen. Please be seated. There's probably no more blessed sound than a baby's first cry as they make that grand entrance into the world. Everyone in the room is on pins and needles until they hear that first cry. And then everyone has a wonderful sigh of relief. But if you're a parent, then you know that that first cry turns into incessant cries in the days ahead. And those cries are not as beautiful, especially when they come at 2 a.m. in the morning when all you want to do is sleep. But that is what God has given these little children as a way and ability to communicate. The ability to cry, even scream their lungs out at times when they are hungry or when they need a diaper change or when they want to be held or for who knows, whatever reasons that they may need to cry. The babies know innately that crying gets what they want or need. And so they cry until that need is no longer there, until they are comforted or until they are satisfied. As we grow, you know, we grow in deeper ways of being able to communicate, but those tears still remain, do they not? Sometimes tears express what words cannot And we do not like tears, we do not like sadness, we do not like mourning. In fact, we try to isolate ourselves as much as possible from them. Our lives are lived in such a way that we try to reduce problems and pain and, yes, even sadness. And we try to increase our comfort as much as possible. Recently on a sermon as we went through it on Sunday nights in the book of Hosea, I made mention that we think a lot about our comforts and the comfort of others. We purchase cars and homes and even beds because they are comfortable. Our clothes and shoes that we wear, at least the ones that we pick or the ones that we gravitate to the greatest or the the most are those that are comfortable to us. We get jobs that pay us so that we can have a comfortable living. We want our guests that come over to be as comfortable as possible, even in our loved ones last days. What are we trying to do? Trying to make them as comfortable as possible. Much of life is about comfort, and that is not wrong. Indeed, comfort is a gift given to us by God. And what Jesus promises to us in this beatitude this morning is comfort. But it comes, as you see, in an odd place. 
Jesus' comfort comes to the mourner. Literally, you could say, happiness comes to the sad. As we have said, this teaching of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, and specifically the Beatitudes, goes counter to the way that we normally would think. Our thinking is that we will be comforted and comfortable if we avoid sadness. And Jesus tells us this morning that we find comfort in the sadness. And in fact, he even says we need to find specific ways. We need to find this specific type of sadness and search it out and apply it to our hearts and our minds so that we can ultimately have comfort in all things. We can have comfort in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we'll see that this morning in three points. Proper mourning, reason to mourn, and then comfort for the mourners. First, proper mourning. The New Testament gives nine different words which the Bible employs to express human grief and sadness. Which demonstrates that sorrow is a real part of human life. As much as we try, we cannot help but mourn. We cannot help but be sad. Because life is oftentimes tragic. Tears and sadness are the only ways to express it. And to not weep. To not cry. Is not a good sign. A newborn baby, as I mentioned before. A newborn baby that does not cry is a baby that has something wrong with it. That's when the doctors become concerned. Likewise, as adults, if nothing moves you, that is not a sign of strength. That is a sign that there's emotionally something wrong on the inside. Tears and weeping and mourning are an emotional release that each and every one of us needs. Otherwise, we will be overcome with pain or anxiety or melancholy, perhaps even depression. Yes, tears and mourning are a part of the human experience. And so there is proper mourning. There is a proper time to mourn and to be sad. What are those? Well, we mourn over adversity. We mourn over trials, tribulations. Recently, as you know, we just finished 1 Peter, and Peter there talks much about trials and tribulations. And we saw there that they are not absent of pain and hurt. In fact, that is part and parcel to the Christian life, that just becoming a Christian doesn't mean that we won't go through these. No, Peter says this is exactly what you will go through. But nevertheless, that does not mean we get giddy over such things or remain stoic no they are painful they are trying and we rightfully mourn even shed tears during these times we mourn over disappointments that plans and goals and dreams oftentimes go unfulfilled that not every plan works out and every goal is achieved and sorry disney but no not every dream comes true We are left, as a result, disappointed and even sad over these things. And that is something that is proper. That is a proper expression of those disappointments. We 
mourn over hurts, especially hurts that we receive from others. As much as we would say, as children, sticks and stones never break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Words do hurt us, don't they? And hurt us badly. And we are harmed by words and harmful actions or perhaps lack of sympathy, especially from those that we love and that are near to us. And as a result, that hurts us personally. We mourn over departure. I remember as a young man, a kid really, always being very uncomfortable when leaving my grandma's house. Because my grandma lived in a different state than we, and so as we were about ready to leave, no doubt there would always be tears coming down grandma's face. And she'd always try to kiss us a couple extra times on the cheek, and as an 11 or 12-year-old, there was nothing more uncomfortable than that. And yet, it was I that stood at her funeral, giving her eulogy. And it was I that was crying. Because we often experience the greatest of hurts and mourning and tears when we mourn over those that we lose. That that pain and loss is very real. We mourn over death. Death that has come into this world because of sin. As we see loved ones taken from us. There's many tears that have been shed even in this place. As there is a casket in front of this pulpit. And that mourning for many of you continues. Even though our loved ones have been gone a long time. That is proper mourning. That is needed. That is to be a part of our human experience. But there is also improper mourning. Many might read this beatitude of Jesus and think that Jesus is saying, blessed are the pessimistic, or blessed are the melancholy, or the Debbie Downers, or the Eeyores of the world. But that is not what is being said here. There is no inherent blessing for those that walk around with a sour face or a sour disposition. As if this said, blessed are the miserable And that your job is to make everyone miserable around you. No, that's not what is being said. Nor does it say blessed are the depressed. That somehow depression is a good thing or perhaps even a Christian thing. No, depression is not proper mourning. And if you are experiencing such, that is something that must be addressed and talked about. Likewise, it is not proper to mourn over unfulfilled Sinful desires. We see in 2 Samuel 13, Amnon was distressed and mourning, literally sulking, because he was so filled with lust over Tamar and was not able to have her. And that mourning led to his sin. Likewise, 1 Kings 21, if you remember King Ahab, throws himself on his bed and literally has a toddler temper tantrum because he is not able to have Naboth's vineyard. And he weeps and mourns because he is so filled with envy and jealousy. No, that is not proper mourning. That 
is not to be a part of the Christian life. And so there is rightfully proper mourning and improper mourning. But that is not the mourning that Jesus is talking about here. In fact, what Jesus is talking about is that there is to be a mourning that is to be a part of our lives that is to be greater than all mourning that we experience. Greater than all hurts. Greater than all pains. In fact, he is saying this is the chief reason to mourning. A mourning that will strike at our hearts. A mourning that must strike at the soul of the believer. And that is a mourning over sin. It is a mourning over our offenses and the offenses of others towards a holy God. It is a mourning over the fallenness and brokenness of this world. That is the mourning that Jesus is talking about here. That is the mourning that not only is to take place, but must take place. That is not only just a proper mourning, that is a required mourning. Not just for some, but for all. If you are to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, then you not only must have experienced this type of mourning, you must be experiencing it. You cannot circumvent it, so to speak. And so, second, then, what are the reasons to mourn? You might be saying, I'm, I'm not so sure I'm with you, Pastor. I'm not sure if I like this type of teaching or preaching. Because this is not the type of preaching that I hear on TV, which is so positive and gives warm fuzzies. Where everyone is happy and the music is happy and the the pastor always has a a giant smile on his face. You might be saying, I I like that Joel better. (laughs) Give me that Joel, Not, not, not this Joel. Because you're saying here that we're to have sadness, we're to have tears. Let me try to be as clear as possible this morning. The reason why we preach and teach this way is not because we're not trying to somehow keep sadness or keep happiness from you. We're not trying to keep joy. No. We're trying to give you joy. We're trying to give you true happiness. Because look at what the text says this morning. Notice that first word. Blessed. Jesus is saying, if you want true blessing, if you want true happiness, blessing comes to those that mourn. Blessing comes to those that have this heart grievance. And it's only those that find True comfort. Blessing that tries to avoid the offense of sin is no blessing and no comfort at all. In pastors and churches, in trying to make things happy and trying to keep things light and airy, actually miss the means by which happiness comes. Because they circumvent Sin, because it's difficult to talk about. They circumvent transgressions, 
and confront you with it because, well, that's getting a little serious and stepping on toes. But such preaching and teaching ultimately must circumvent the cross because you can't preach Jesus Christ and him crucified properly unless you preach the reason why Jesus was crucified. And the reason why Jesus was crucified was for you and for your sins. And so we must be squarely confronted with our sins again and again. And the proper response to that is to mourn. I tell the new members class this. You don't understand the gospel when you say that Jesus Christ died for sinners. No, that's just the facts. No, you understand the gospel. And the gospel truly comes home when you say Jesus Christ died for this sinner. That if I was the only sinner on the face of the planet, Jesus would still have to come and die and to give his life for me and for my sins. And therefore, there is rightfully grief there. The women wept when Jesus was hanging on the cross. And they wept at the grave. And if you understand why they were weeping, then we must come alongside and weep with them. Last week, we looked at the first of these beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And saw how that this was the entryway into the kingdom of heaven. This unlocks heaven's door. It's a recognition, it's an acknowledgement of who we are in the light of who God is. That we are nothing, that we have nothing, that we cannot save ourselves. We can only cry out for mercy. But what we saw there is that that is exactly where God finds us. When we're without a hope, he becomes our hope. When we have no mercy at all, God becomes the ultimate gift of mercy and grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore we receive the kingdom of heaven and have received that kingdom. And you'll notice as we go through these that these beatitudes build upon one another. What is the first thing that one realizes when they realize that they have nothing, when that they realize that they are poor in spirit? What is the first act as a kingdom citizen is that he or she mourns over their sins and mourns over the fallenness of this world. And that does not stop. That is not just something that you do initially as you come unto Christ. If I can be a little bit of a a grammar nerd this morning, the term for mourning here in the Greek is in the present active participle. Which means that it is a continuous action. In other words, the the mourning that we're to experience, but by the way, which is is not just a a twinge of guilt or or just a slight sadness. No, the, the word that is used there is a bemoaning. It is a bewailing. That that type of mourning is not just a one time act that we did 30 years ago when we walked an aisle. But as it says here, it is a continuous action of the believer and must be a continuous action until you are freed from this body of sin. For we read in Revelation 
that in the new kingdom, Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes. But until then, there are many tears in which we must shed. And we bemoan, first and foremost, as I mentioned, our own sinfulness. This is what, as you remember, Mary Magdalene did. When she broke Jewish protocol, when she broke into an all-male dinner, because she couldn't help herself. And there she not only poured expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus, it says that she washed his feet with her tears. And you might say this morning, well, Pastor, I'm, I'm not much of a crier. Maybe you're not, and I'm right there with you. And I'm not saying that this morning has to be expressed in this way or in that particular way. But what I am saying is, my friend, your sins must impact you. They must grieve you from the inside out. And if you do not lament of your sins, and if you do not do that regularly, then you are not a Christian. Because this is a part of the Christian life. And don't just say, oh, well, yeah, I understand everyone's a sinner. Everyone messes up. Everyone makes mistakes. It's a part of being human. No, if that is your attitude, then you have not come to the place that Jesus speaks of here in this passage. You have not confronted your own wretchedness and need for a Savior. A catechism says that we need to confess our specific sins specifically or our particular sins particularly we're not just to confess generally oh yes i'm a i'm a sinner forgive me no we are to number our sins and confess them before the almighty god for when mary magdalene broke in to that dinner Remember, all those that were at that party looked at her with disgust and and looked at her with disdain, thinking, what is she doing? And and what is Jesus doing? Letting such a woman touch him in that way. Jesus says those profound words. When he says, those who are forgiven much, love much. Those who are forgiven little, little, love much. Little. All those that were at that dinner party saw little need for forgiveness. But Mary knew she had a great need. And that expressed itself in a great love. And I wonder, and I I say this to myself as much as I say it to all of you, I wonder if we have so often let our love for Christ grow cold because we have done so little heart searching. So little mourning over our sins. Likewise, we don't only mourn over our sins, but the sins of others and of the world. That when you understand life from this perspective, when you put on these spectacles, then you see clearly, we see a world that is broken. And people around us that are broken, even because of their own sins, their intentional sins, or perhaps even unintentionally because of the fallenness of this 
world. We cannot help but be moved by that. We are to weep with those who weep, the scripture says. And this is exactly what we see in the the life of Christ. It's interesting that we never read in the Bible that Jesus laughed. No doubt he was a man filled with, with joy. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and I'm sure he did laugh, but it is very interesting, perhaps even curious, that the scriptures never mention that Jesus laughed, but you know what it does say? That he was a man of sorrows. That he was a man acquainted and accustomed with grief. And we do see him weeping. We see him carrying that burden of humanity. We see him weeping on the hills of Jerusalem. Because he understood and saw and, and indeed still sees the fallenness and brokenness and sinfulness of this world like no one else can. He was a man of sorrows. And therefore, the ministry of Christ that is ongoing through his church should reflect that type of attitude as well. We carry on that mission. We carry on that burden. If it's to be all fun and games and jokes and laughing, then I think we're missing the mark. Listen, I laugh with people in this church more than I laugh with anyone. I enjoy the company of one another. But there's also a time to put away laughing and put away joking. And there's a time to have sobriety and seriousness because we've been given a serious task. We've been given serious business to engage in. We're to go out to a world that is broken. Indeed, a world that is mourning and crying, but they have no answer. We have the answer. We have the gift of where the comfort comes from. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his, his wonderful commentary on this says... Defining the man of sorrows, he says this, he is to be a man that is sorrowful but not sour. He is to be sorrowful but not miserable. He is to be serious but not solemn. Sober-minded but not sullen. Grave but never cold. His outlook is always serious, but because of these views which he has and his understanding of the truth... He also has a joy unspeakable and full of glory. I think that is a right perspective, a right attitude. That is the tone I think we see reflected in the words of Scripture. And second, and our third point then, is the promise that in the morning we find the source of comfort. We see third then the comfort to the Mourners, and we are not to mourn for mourning's sake. We're not to just find pleasure and pain. We're not to self-afflict ourselves or whip ourselves even. No, we mourn so as to be comforted. Comfort is a desirable thing. As I mentioned at the very begin, beginning, we, we spend much of our life on our comfort and being comfortable But here it is that we find true comfort, Jesus says. And here we find somewhat of, again, the parallel truth or the the paradox of truth. 
That just as we continuously mourn, so too we continuously have the comfort of Christ. That while weeping, we have comfort. That while grieving, we still have hope. Why is that? Because our grieving and our mourning has a purpose. And that purpose is to bring us to the feet of Jesus. And it's there that we confess our sins. It's there that we bring our brokenness. It's there we bring the request of a broken world before him. And there we find not only the forgiveness of sins for us, but the hope that is for the entire world. As it says in 1 John 1.9, that familiar verse, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But just as much as we confess, just as much as we mourn, we should equally, if not greater, believe that we have that full forgiveness and the full comfort for our souls. Martin Luther said this, God does not save imaginary sinners. So if you be a sinner, let your sins be strong, Luther says, or even sin boldly. But let your trust in Christ be stronger and your faith bolder still and rejoice in Christ who is the victor over sins, death, and the world. What Luther is saying is as strong as your sins are, and they are strong, your faith and trust in Christ should be stronger. In those promises that God gives to you and in that that we find Comfort, the true, lasting, eternal comfort of Christ. It's there that we find that full and lasting peace where we have a clear conscience before God. And so let me ask you this morning, have you received such comfort? Do you know that of which I'm speaking of this morning? Do you understand this mourning? Do you understand this grieving? And do you understand the reason why we as Christians do it? Because it brings us to Christ again and again and again. And there we find the comfort. There we find the hope. There we find our Christ, our Savior, fully sufficient for all of our sins. This morning we had a confession of sins printed in our bulletin. And for Some of you, this might be something that is new. You may not be familiar with it. You might even be a little bit uncomfortable with it, which I understand. But do you see why we do it? If we're to be mourners, if we're to be confessors, then we need to do this regularly, not only privately and individually, but corporately as the people of God. And I hope that these prayers that are printed in your bulletin never become perfunctory, that you just speak these words as something to say, something to recite. Because every one of those words is true of you. And those are words that we must take to heart. But then I also hope that you would tune into what comes after that. The assurance of pardon. That there too you would hang on every word. That you would need each and every one of them. That you would apply each and every word of that to your heart and to your soul and to your 
mind and that you would find great comfort in it. That you would use the words of Scripture. Because it's not me that's forgiving your sins. I cannot. It's Christ and the Holy Spirit who is, by the way, called the Comforter. That is speaking those words to you. That you, the sinner, would find comfort and assurance and the full forgiveness of all of your sins. We need to apply the needed gospel to us again and again. And there, beloved, is where we find comfort that can be found nowhere else. All other comforts in the world are fleeting and fading. Here is the eternal comfort. All other comforts are creature comforts, as they say, but here we find the Creator's comforts applied only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me finish with these words. They come from David in the Psalms when he says and prays, Search me and know me, O Lord. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the path of righteousness for your name's sake. If you pray that prayer, that searching, no doubt will lead to mourning. And that path of righteousness will lead you to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there you will find all that you need. Indeed, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Join me in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, O oh Lord, how we need this wonderful assurance and comfort applied to our heart. We need the gospel applied to us again and again. We need the blood of Christ to cover all of our sins. And so, Lord, may we come confessing, repenting of these, grieving over our sinfulness and the sinful world in which we live in. Lord, may we be like the prophet Isaiah saying that I have unclean lips and I live amongst a people with unclean lips. Woe is me. In the same way, O Lord, we know that Christ came for such sinners, sinners such as we. And so, Lord, may we also stand in the fullness and in the righteousness that only Christ can provide. And there, O Lord, we have that paradox of truth. We are simultaneously sinners and simultaneously saints. We are full of wretchedness and yet full of righteousness because of Christ. Lord, until that day where we are made complete, may we continue to mourn over our sins so as to find Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.